0: Because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are. And we have to articulate ourselves. Otherwise, we would be cows in the field. Welcome to Cows in the Field. This is a movie podcast. I am Justin. I'm Laura. And today we're talking about Minority Report by Steven Spielberg.
1: Two thousand two.
0: Yeah. So this is a movie which um which we both really like. And we, we watched love this Yeah, movie. it's a fun movie. And um uh yeah, let's I mean let's it's a Tom Cruise vehicle, right? Uh yes. It's, it's Tom Cruise kind of peak cruise in some sense. Yeah. Although I guess he has many peaks in his
1: career. Yeah, I don't know that you can I mean we don't have we could do a Tom Cruise podcast if mm-hmm. you wanted to. Not um He's looking at me like he doesn't want to do that. But we did an entire summer of Tom Cruise. Yeah, we did the two summer. Two summers ago. Yeah. Summer of Cruise. I loved it. Justin burnt it was, out on it.
0: <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> uh, so Tom Cruise here stars John as John Anderton. Uh, he works for the pre-cr- pre-crime unit of, mm-hmm. the, of the DC police. Um, he lives in a bachelor apartment. He does a lot of drugs. He works real hard mm-hmm. and um he has a lot of baggage. He does.
1: Yeah. He has a little a little dead son.
0: A little dead son that's haunting him. It's a little bit like uh the dead wife in the Nolan movies.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh Colin Farrell is the second lead as Danny Whitwer, the Irish Catholic boxer. I think of him question? as a boxer, but okay. well, you know, because he, he he has that one. He has he's a got one that scene. boxing
0: scene. He gets into the ring, he knows how to he knows how to hold himself. He knows how to
1: throw a punch.
0: He knows how to throw a punch. He's also got he's got the uh the the Irish chain, right? He's got that that does cross. that make him a boxer? <laughs> I think of it kind of as it goes I associate either. it with, with the kind of boxing culture. Okay. Got the More chain?
1: officially he's the twink from the Fed.
0: Twink from the Fed, self-identified. Yeah. Uh, he's Samantha-
1: here to cut co- he's from the Justice Department and he's here to sort of assess. Pre crime. Pre crime.
0: Yeah, he wants to. He wants to figure out what's going on with pre crime because they they might take it national. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll go national. They've had no crime in DC or no uh, no murders. No murders. No murders. No okay. Murders. Wow. Well, yeah. Samantha Morton is Agatha, um, pre Krog, who likes milk. She <laughs> likes to sit in a bath of milk, and she <laughs> needs a watch. She's always asking, "When is it?" She's like, "When is it? Is this now?" So that's Samantha Morton. She's great. Uh she this is funny because I think I always I was always like, who is this person? You know? Mm-hmm. And then we saw like, you know, Samantha Morton's in lots of other movies. And we recently saw um Morvern Callar and uh um, I
1: think is this year. I think it's this really? Year. I think it's two thousand two as wow.
0: well. Okay, fascinating. Really? Oh my god. Maybe I'm wrong. That's on crazy. That. Okay. Well, I'll look that up, but that's okay. really interesting. Um, yeah, so that's Samantha Morton. Who's next?
1: Max von Sydow he plays Lamar Burgess he's the director of free crime and he's like so obviously the bad guy <laughs> um not just because he's got like a Swedish accent that sounds very foreboding but you know it always these movies it always goes all the way to the top
0: it always goes all the way I mean yeah I mean maybe in, in 2002 people were like maybe it's it could no, be anyone and, no, and from now we're this, like, like it's a- obviously he's the bad guy
1: L.A. Confidential. Every movie, it's always the sort of elder statesman white guy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> good call. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so, yeah, those are the, I mean, I would really think those are the main characters, right? There's like a bunch of other small characters. Um, and, but that's, those are the main people. And, mm-hmm. you know, what? so what happens in this movie, right? So this is a movie set in the near future, the year 2054, I yep. believe. Yep. And everything's looking really good. It's no murder driverless cars, eye scanning, facial detection, <laughs> and you've got what's at the core of it all? Pre-crime. Pre-crime. Nobody can be... Um, nobody can commit a murder because it's foreseen by these three mutant humans who live in a pool of milk. And w- then they scan their brains. They have some sort of brain scanner on them that, like, checks to make sure... It, it sort of, like, takes them image from their mind and puts it on it a projects screen. Projects it
1: on a screen, right. And then and they records f-
0: it. Records it, and then they figure out who it is. And they're like, okay, is this guy with the candlestick in the drawing room? <laughs> and then they, they go to his house, and this wonderful, like, opening scene, which sort of explains everything, you know, like, gives you a, gives you a flavor of the, mm-hmm. how the pre-crime unit works. And they stop the guy from killing his wife. And it's, and you're like, man, this is really cool. And, but of course, nothing is ever perfect. And guess who shows up? Danny Whitworth. He's from the Justice Department. He wants to make sure this is legit. He starts asking a lot of questions. He's asking
1: questions. He's, He's asking for too flaws. many questions.
0: He's looking for flaws. The flaws always human, right? Mm-hmm. But Tom Cruise is not a guy that, that, that you know, He's a guy who's got the confidence to answer questions like he's this.
1: He's a true believer. He's a
0: true believer. He does the ball thing where he rolls the ball down the thing, and Whitworth grabs it, and he's like, "You know, you knew it was gonna fall, so you're a precog too." And it works. And so then um, he's sniffing around, and what happens? How does he? What What happens next? I can't remember.
1: Agatha. I can't remember why John Anderson ends up in the temple, but he's in the temple with oh, wait, the precogs. No. He goes
0: in to show Whitworth.
1: Yeah, maybe right? he's he just in, he's, he's like, lingering right. afterwards. Yeah. But Agatha grabs him and says, "Can you see?" And shows him an old murder. Just her, not the other precogs. the The caretaker, um, who Wally, the caretaker who who tends to the precogs, is like, "No, that's not possible. And, you know, she she wouldn't show you that." Um, but he sees he sees a woman drowning. And he starts to ask questions. He goes to the to this wacko prison where they keep all of the all of the people that have been uh, haloed um, because of the crimes that they were going to commit <laughs> imminently uh, and starts out, tries to look to see some of the footage, uh, some of the, the precog visions from this from this drowning and finds that there's some missing information. I think that's what the sets all this all this in motion. Yeah.
0: Because he asked some questions. He asked Lamar, which is the wrong guy to ask. And Lamar decides to frame him. Um, Yeah. So then the next thing we get is that uh, the next pre-crime prediction is John Anderton, that is Tom Cruise, killing Leo Crow. And that sets in motion the rest of the movie. And now Anderton's trying to figure out what's going on. And eventually he figures it all out. He does kill Crow. He's, he sort of escapes. They capture him. He's haloed. But in a kind of magical, almost unreal last act, last 20 minutes coda, mm-hmm. he escapes from the prison, reveals the truth of Lamar Burgess, and saves the day pre-crime shutdown. So it's a real... If everything
1: just goes back to normal, I guess. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah.
1: And uh, he has to do a lot of crazy things along the way. He has to take out his eyeballs.
0: He does remove his eyes. That's true. And in one of the best scenes Um, and
1: he's committed.
0: Well, he's got to clear his name. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's very important. I, you know, I was sort of thinking about like why it is that he goes to try to clear his name as Mm -hmm. opposed to go into hiding. And. You know, to a certain extent he's fighting against himself because as you point out, he's a true believer in pre-crime. So, you know, if he clears his name, then that will show like, it's the very dilemma that Lamar faces at the end, where if he clears his name, that shows pre-crime doesn't work. Right. Um, so he, he, in a way has to go through with it to like save his, his, what he cherishes as mm-hmm. his career. Right. um, and you know we learn why anderton cares so much about this it's because he cares uh he wants to prevent anyone else from ever having to lose a loved one because he himself we learn has lost his son he he was at a pool with his son and the son's kidnapped and presumed he's dead and you know he blames himself he's he feels you know immense guilt for this. Yeah. And, and it's,
1: it, it caused a separation with his wife. His wife is, is still around, but they're not together anymore. And this it's caused a a rift between yeah, them.
0: Yeah, they've got the rift and and um you know, so he he is in a situation where he um he thinks maybe by preventing another murder or every other murder, he can uh he can sort of rest safe and sound yeah. at the end of the day. But but as we've you know, of course. He's, he's running from his past as much as he's running from his future. And, um, you know, he's put in this dilemma where he, he really can't avoid doing what he has to do in some sense. And, um, you know, the, the precog is vindicated to a certain extent. And then, you know, he has to ultimately fight against the pre-crime unit. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking like, you know, if you were accused of this crime and you knew exactly how you were going to do it, It'd be very easy to not do it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's 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 sort of because he's trying to f- prove his innocence too much that he runs head for head first into doing that the very crime he's predicted to, to do. And so I do find that interesting that um y- you know, in a way he he sort of is his own worst enemy. Yeah. Um it's fun watching him run around and jump on driverless cars. He and- so
1: much running. Everybody runs. That's what he says. Everyone runs. Everybody That's runs.
0: running is a is a central theme of the movie.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: so one of the things that, you know, it's fun to think about with this movie is that the the future is really interesting, right? The future is something where there's a lot of driverless cars. They're kind of going up buildings, up and down buildings. There's retinal. This is scans. your dream, we
1: should say. You are obsessed with driverless cars.
0: Well, you know, I think I think in the end, my my ultimate dream. I'm gonna come clean on this one. My ultimate dream is VR plugin. My ultimate dream really is everyone lives like the pre-cogs live. <laughs> you're in a milk bath, it's warm, <laughs> you have all your nutrients provided for you. You're
1: psychotic. And you're
0: just you just and you just VR everyone else. It's like you're <laughs> in a virtual world completely. Or here's another way to put it. My dream is to be Haloed and then live in my little Halo sack, right? In the in the prison. That's what I, that's my ultimate dream. Right. Prison Halo sack. Cool. Now, um Second best is <laughs> if we have to leave the house, yeah, then I pick driverless cars over non driverless cars because mm-hmm. at least driverless cars not going to get in accidents as much, also can get work done in the driverless car mm. can do other you know can do other things. I'm not no distracted driving, I could just be watching minority report in my driverless car, right um the other thing I like about it is the driverless car drops you at your door. There's no like, ah, oh, dropped you at the garage and you got to walk in. No, right in the door. Yeah. It just opens up into the, cool. into the living room. You just walk right in, right to the uh, Chinese food that you've strewn throughout your apartment. Mm. And, um, his, and his just, apartment is grody. Yeah. Um, and then you just pop in the um, the old VHS tape of your dead son. <laughs>
1: no delay
0: no delays just go straight in for it right you don't gotta go through the garage in the mud room. just go straight in
1: really interested in efficiency yes this is what this is about the driverless cars are super cool
0: do you you agree on this one you're no i don't i I don't trust them
1: i like i said my iphone like barely functions i'm not getting in a car that's like run by a computer that's madness um i would definitely like to just i'm Feel strongly about human error over, over computer I error. I see. So you
0: take, I, you, but what if you, or oh, I see. So, but what if the error rate was but I, lower? I meant
1: visually they're cool in this movie. Yeah. But
0: what if the error rate was lower, but it was just not done by a human? Then you're cool. Then you wouldn't be cool with it.
1: Wait. So, so that I'm I, thinking like,
0: so suppose, the, hum, suppose humans, the rate of human error is as is, is, is higher than the rate of computer error.
1: Yeah. Which is probably true. But I feel like the computer error is more disastrous.
0: Oh, I see. So, what well, I see. I thought you were saying like that the that you would still take human error over computer error, even if there was a lower rate of computer error, just because you like prefer it done by a human.
1: Yes, that's what I. That's crazy. I don't. <laughs> that seems crazy to
0: me. I go, I go. I'd say just take the
1: lower error rate.
0: Anyway, all right. So, <laughs> because at least you can like you can look the human in the eye and go tisk tisk. Is that like what is it?
1: No, I just don't trust computers. Yeah,
0: but if the error rate is lower, then you should trust them.
1: Yeah, but. I mean, are we talking quantitative error rate? Or are we talking If they make one giant crazy error, you know, I'm just saying. I see. So what if they take over like, all of our cars and just like suck us into abyss? I, I don't know. I don't trust it. Okay. We're getting off on a tangent. Yeah,
0: but I think driverless cars, I mean, again, <laughs> number one option is milk bath. We all live in a milk bath. And then number two option is if we, you know, driverless cars. Number three okay. option is what we currently have. Yeah. Which is the worst.
1: Yeah, no, I think the actual the worst too, especially Massachusetts is this like roundabout situation where you have to like have a PhD (laughs) in psychology to understand what the fuck the other driver is thinking. Yeah, it's like
0: no, it's like a game theory where you're like, all right, here we go. Like, you got to find the Nash equilibrium for when you're going to jump in the the, like, am I dealing
1: with a psychopath? Am I dealing with somebody who's overly cautious? Like, can I go? And like you know what I mean when yeah. you you're trying to calculate throw, not just their velocity, but like what their brain state yeah, is. Yeah, and then you gotta
0: throw in like a couple of pedestrians who are like looking really unsure about whether they should cross. And, and as you like slow probably down, students. They think, yeah, because... they think like you're thinking that they yeah. you're gonna slow down for them, but yeah. you're not, you're slowing down to, to merge into It's a the, nightmare. Yeah.
1: I hate it. Yeah. So I driverless hate cars, with... <laughs>
0: right? Come on. <laughs> no human error at all. Driverless cars. I don't know about this But
1: I do think that sex decks are cool.
0: Okay, that's one you like. Okay. Yeah,
1: no, I like the weapons a lot in this movie. It, there are firearms. I mean, there's like two prominent guns in this movie. John Anerton. That's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the gun that Lamar Burgess is gifted, like the Civil War gun that right. he then kills himself with. Right. Um, but so they definitely do have firearms, but it seems like they're not very used very often because they've got these six sticks and they have the like sonic boom guns. Yeah. that kind of just make people fly backwards. Very cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, though the Sonic Boom gun, I know there's, it's supposed to be like less dangerous, but like if you Sonic Boom someone off a cliff, like it's much more dangerous. Well, than don't a gun. use
1: them near cliffs. Well, I mean, same
0: thing. If you Sonic Boom them like into a wall, <laughs> that could uh, cause some serious just, lasting damage. I thought damage. they were cool. They I like the cool. Six
1: Sticks a lot. I like when they say Six Stick. Get your Six Sticks ready, I, okay, everybody. I have, a, I have
0: a question about the Six Stick, actually. Yeah. So, okay. So you would think an efficient Six Stick wouldn't just make you like vomit immediately
1: projectile yeah. on it
0: yeah, because because of course if you if you just do that then you're like usually right after you throw up you're like ready to go right you feel <laughs> fine you're like okay now i'm gonna keep chasing you what a six stick should do you would think is make you feel like you're gonna be sick like just like feel nauseated right that mm-hmm. would like throw you down mm-hmm. but here's what i wonder i wonder if what the six stick is doing is if you like hit someone in the in in like the, the belly with the six stick mm-hmm. They would feel that nausea. The problem is that he hit him right in the neck, and it oh. like was too close to his head or something, so and it just like or
1: his esophagus, or his, like that. yeah, exactly, it just like jazzed him up too much. I see. So you don't think the six sticks usually always make projectile? Yeah, on that's
0: it. my hypothesis. Okay, that's my hypothesis. So <laughs>
1: it's very fast though, because you're like, ooh, six sticks. What do they do? And then pretty quickly, yeah. somebody gets stuck in the neck, and you're like, okay. I mean, the other thing is <laughs> that
0: visually, it doesn't make any sense for the six stick in a in a movie to just be like, oh, I'm feeling queasy. That's not as like compelling. Yeah, that's not, it as, like, yeah, that's not yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh get, 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 put put an order for some uh, antacids and uh, pepto please and then I'll get on <laughs> Chase and anderton. Yeah. That would not be fun. So no. just having the guy vomit is more fun, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, um yeah I will also say one thing about the 3D TV because I, I know it's something we I don't know we we're both looking at it was like, yeah, 3D TV kind of interesting. No 3D glasses. That's mm-hmm, cool. Mm-hmm. But the quality is real low. That's like lower than 720p quality, right? That's like 480. His max. home videos, his he home means? video, they're garbage, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I think also they're meant to perhaps be a little bit degraded. Like he's watched them so much yeah, that they're starting to. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> you wouldn't want that like either. A, in the future. But it's
0: like a it's like a flash drive or something. It doesn't degrade. You know, it's not like it's not like uh um yeah, it's not like like a tape that like you only. It only can play so many times before it runs out.
1: Right. Yeah. That's how I interpret it. Yeah.
0: I mean, my guess is that they, Spielberg, needed to have some way of differentiating real, like, what was real from what was the 3D video. Mm -hmm. And, like, if it looked too good, we would just be like, his son is back from the dead or something, right? We would be confused. And so he needed to make it really low quality to, like, remind you. Because also, this movie, we should have mentioned, the quality of the movie is low in the sense that the look of the movie, in the sense uh-huh. that, and not yeah, the look in the sense that because they shot it on Super 35 high speed, so it's super grainy, is like massive amounts of grain, um, and then they blew it out in the bleach bypass, yeah, right. So this this sort of like super high contrast. Everything's overexposed. Yeah,
1: everybody sort of has the, has halos. <laughs> yeah, in fact. <laughs> yeah, everybody's kind of glowing at the edges.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's washed out, so mm-hmm. this like looks kind of grungy. Mm-hmm. And and so if 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 the if you had no way of differentiating the video from from that from the grainy film, right, you, it might be hard. So I, yeah. it could have just been like he's give it a like, Yeah, I for for filmic reasons we need to have this, or else the audience will be confused. Yeah, but still, I'm thinking if my future 3d tv isn't 4k i don't want the future for if it's not for it's 4k or bust as far as i'm concerned for 3d tv
1: um when's the last time you watched a dvd and what was your reaction to it
0: yeah so this is a good story so um we (laughs) we watched the last time no actually but the last time we actually was was remember we had to watch we had to watch valley Valley Girl. girl Because the only way we could get Valley Girl was on DVD. We okay. had to buy the DVD and watch okay, it. Okay,
1: but before this, that you was swore for off the Nick Cage. DVDs for forever and yeah. ever. I'm, amen.
0: Yeah, I swore them off because uh, we watched Godfather, and I had the Godfather box set for my parents, which was just a DVD set, and we watched it. And it was garbage. It looks like garbage.
1: Justin was throwing our DVDs out the window. He's like, I'm never, I'm never doing this again. Yeah,
0: it was absolutely like a horrible experience because that's a <laughs> three hour movie. So just imagine having a horrible, and you can't stop because you're with friends. Right. You can't yeah, just be if like, if it
1: were just with me, we would oh, have stopped.
0: We, we would have stopped and like gone to Walmart or something <laughs> to buy the DVD, the Blu rays. But so, so, so we had to keep watching. I couldn't just be like tapping out and be like, no, 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 no. And it's three hours long. Yeah, and, and th- here's why it You're sucks. Having here's an why aneurism. it really sucks. So it's shot by um, what's it um, uh, the shit uh, the prince of the prince of darkness. What's his name? Uh, anyway, whatever. I the cinematographer, know. um, Gordon is it Gordon Herschel? Okay, whatever. <laughs> and oh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, and so everything is cast in shadows. It's all these darks with like the chiaroscuro lighting. With like everything is super like you know, framed around shadows and darkness. Now, just imagine in DVD compression, the shadows are the things that gets crunched the most because because the way they think of it is they're like, well, I'm trying to preserve detail in the highlights, so I'll kill the shadow detail and it won't matter. Well, then every shadow you see is just a bunch of blocks. It's just a bunch of like little blocks artifacts that are just like fritzing in and out. And now you're talking about a movie where 80% of the frame is shadow in like a lot of these shots. So you're just looking at a bunch of like Lego blocks. I'm like this this sucks. This sucks. This is supposed to be one of the best movies ever. We're just sitting here watching like Lego Godfather version. I'm just like <laughs> I don't, why would I do this to myself? And yet I did it. And so then after that, I vowed I will never ever unless I have to. Yeah. Have to in the sense that like there's literally no other way to watch the movie.
1: Right.
0: Watch another DVD. Yeah. And so this
1: is all to say. Future TVs better be 4K. They better be better be eight times the time the quality of HD. <laughs> right? Yeah. Ten times well, the quality of HD and yeah, twenty. No, you 84. don't really need it. There's a certain point where
0: pixel count doesn't really matter. And and you know, you want something more like bit depth or whatever. But okay. like
1: whatever, but, but, Justin. But what are you even saying?
0: Four K is probably good enough. Okay. Okay. But three D and 360 VR, maybe? Maybe then you want to go a little higher. but I
1: feel like you're just speaking Latin at this point. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about
0: quality of video, okay? <laughs> and this is how, this is, I'm just saying, you know, like I think Spielberg Spielberg was probably didn't, didn't have a good home theater at the time. So he was like, yeah, this probably looks fine. But now, looking back, I'm like, Pfft,
1: nothing. <laughs> Are you trying to say your much. home theater is better than than whatever Spielberg had going on in, in 2002, 2002? Yes,
0: totally. I think 100 percent because he, he probably didn't. There weren't Blu-rays back then. I'm pretty sure no. they were just DVDs. So the or Laserdisc, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so you know, best he's got is Laserdisc rocking on a 480 s- screen, right? He, I don't think there's any projector that's that's pumping even 720 right? Definitely not 1080 on that. So mine's better. It's just, is totally better. And we got, now we have local dimming and everything. Granted, we don't have an OLED TV, but if you had OLED, it would be even that much better. So
1: now everybody's going to know we don't have an OLED TV. I
0: know it's embarrassing.
1: So
0: (laughs) I chose not to, I chose for bigger over OLED. It's (laughs) just one of those things.
1: Oh my God. Um, Okay. Back to the future. Justin was talking about the physical media, the, the, like the, john anderton looks at these home videos via little slides and we were you know that doesn't seem right we don't use anything physically that i mean we have blu-rays but in the future i imagine everything's just gonna be there's no reason to have cloud
0: yeah i mean the only people who are gonna have physical media in the future my prediction is like people who are distrustful of streaming media you know it's gonna be like you are gonna be you're gonna be such an old person when you grow up (laughs) you're gonna be like all like like uh like I'm our our person. child's generation is just gonna be like, why would you ever have anything physical? You just stream it, you just like license the content per yeah. per page, right? Like you pay like a dime a page per book, right? And like you watch per minute and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And like we are sitting here like, no, 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 no. But I bought the whole book and then I could read it anytime I want. And it's gonna be like,
1: That's so like why would you do that? That's so dumb. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Anyway. I look forward to those conversations. Yeah, that's when I'm gonna like happen. hoarding all my books.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah. So, <laughs> but so that,
1: you know, I, I think I don't think that quite gets it right. Although for the same reasons as you point out about the the quality of the of the look of the home videos, I think it's it's more cinematic. It looks better for him to pick up a physical thing that has a label that says, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like that's right. Memories of Sean. Yeah. Than him clicking around in a computer to to start streaming something. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about are the newspapers. There's a yeah. scene where um john anderton gets on the subway which is already dangerous because everywhere you go your retinas get scanned so um you know he's getting scanned as soon as he's in the subway and then there are a bunch of it's a really crowded subway car and everybody's got their newspapers and the newspapers the headlines like flash and change and they say like you know he's on the lamb and there's a picture of tom cruise which is just like uh harry potter the that's how the newspapers work too the moving images and Mm -hmm. it's sort of magical paper or right of me if Of magical parchment uh in harry potter yeah uh which you know we do get the news that way you know Uh, if there was breaking news it would be like that except for everybody would be on their phones yeah You know,
0: but but you know i mean i think that's it's getting it most mostly right in that regard yeah Yeah. it's like a twitter sort of it's a twitter feed that's updating right exactly it's just
1: that there's there's no way anybody's gonna be holding a physical newspaper in 2054
0: well unless it's the e-ink updating constantly kind of newspaper yeah Cause that's what they're thinking, maybe, right? Like maybe there's some doubt that there's gonna be like, but that would still like be a, a tablet, kind of,
1: right? Or no, but no, you that it's like that it's like
0: paper. Like edit. you have
1: you own a e-ink paper, yeah, 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 one yeah, physical yeah, paper yeah. that just like updates every yeah, yeah. like constantly. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Be kind of neat, right? Maybe I would like that. I like to hold things in my hand.
0: Yeah, you're such an old person. <laughs> Tactile, I don't understand. Just manipulate it with your mind. (laughs) Just bring it in. Just give me the VR goggles and, like, teach my mind to manipulate the objects in VR space. I don't need fingers. Fingers are overused. uh, Sorry, overrated.
1: Yeah. Advertising? Did we talk about that already? I don't know. Um but yeah they but, have ads they have ads in the future <laughs> yeah well they
0: are ads in the future no but i thought that was Sad like one of say. the most
1: prescient parts of it uh is the that targeted the ads. targeted ads yeah, yeah the targeted ads that follow you around because yeah. it's part of this retinal scan situation where everywhere you go if you walk into a mall um if you walk into a store they'll be like hi john anderton how are those khakis working out for you yeah um but you're just you know you're walking down corridors in the subway you're walking in any public space your eyes are getting scanned. And you're getting targeted ads right to you. And that feels exactly like my experience on the internet. Yeah. Every time I'm on Facebook, you know, if I like went, if I like was thinking about buying something in J Crew, and then I put it in the cart and then I was like, Laura, you don't need that. And then I closed the window. Two seconds later, Facebook's like, hey. Yeah. (laughs) Don't leave now.
0: But here's the question. I mean, would you prefer ads like that or do you prefer like, you know, when you at one point we watched the, the local news. Mm-hmm. When you're watching the local news, they think you're 68 years old. Yeah, and so which we've getting, already established,
1: I am in my soul. Well, but, but I don't you
0: don't ail from the ailments that are plaguing <laughs> many 68 year olds, and it's all like targeted ads about like prescription drugs. They're yeah. like, do you have trouble maintaining an erection? <laughs> do you have rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah, it's, you...
1: <laughs> it's like autoimmune diseases, uh, ED, and chantix. Yeah, and chant
0: and quitting smoking. Yeah, so yeah. it's like I would personally prefer the ad to just be like hey uh i know you like this stuff yeah no
1: i i do like i do appreciate that it's that it's quite targeted i do appreciate seeing things that i would like might like it's just the feeling of being followed around realizing that you're that you've got such a clear footprint on the internet that feels a little icky yeah
0: it's like the um it's like sting always said what? Every step you take, every breath you take,
1: <laughs> I'll be watching you. Right? I was not picking up that joke. At Sorry, first. I was like, a, "What?" It's are a quick, are you sting about? quick sting drop there.
0: Quick sting drop. Well, on that on that note, I think maybe maybe what we should do now is is take a little detour into Justin's philosophy corner. Yeah, a little philosophy. Please. This is a this is a um a movie where their philosophy is kind of front and center. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a movie that um involves some deep philosophical issues um and I think like
1: flirts with them and doesn't really grapple with them Well
0: they're they're woven into the fabric of yes. the plot yeah. in a way that often isn't for movies and um and I think that it I think it's worth actually just trying to tease apart what is going on because I think the way the movie sells itself is actually I think confused but I do think there's something really interesting happening so so here's the here's what I, here's how I think it's how how I think the movie sort of sets itself up and why I think that's wrong. And then why, what I think is Mm -hmm. is really going on. So, so the, the precogs are set up to, to, to apparently know the future, right? They ostensibly see the future. They know what's going to happen. They communicate that to us, but we, with that information, that is the pre-crime people can use that information to change the future thus changing what it is that they know. But I think that is a problem. So that's already an inconsistency. So so suppose, in fact, that you change the future. Well, then the precogs never knew the thing they knew, right? Mm-hmm. So suppose, to, to, to use a silly example that doesn't involve murder, suppose the precogs know that you're going to choose vanilla ice cream. Okay. So then they tell you this. They say, hey you're going to, when the choice is given to you, you're going to choose vanilla. And then you go, aha, well, now that I know this, I'm going to thwart you. And when the choice comes, I'm going to choose chocolate because I can choose whatever I want. And then you choose chocolate. Well, then it's true that you'll both choose vanilla and you will choose chocolate. That's a contradiction. You can't, you can't choose vanilla and not choose vanilla. Right. And so I think that way of thinking about it, which the movie sometimes says, like, this is, you know, explicitly says, like, this is what's going what's gonna to happen. Like, Cruz says, the precogs don't see what you intend to do. They see what you will do. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, they stop the person from doing that. So then the person doesn't do that. Okay. So, so okay. So that, I think, way of interpreting it is not, doesn't even make sense. It's, it's incoherent. Mm-hmm. What is the precog's power? I think they have some power, presumably. What is it? So here's the way I think of it. So what the precogs see is what would happen if nobody intervenes to, to stop it. Okay, so that's more like the ball thought experiment that Anderton gives to, uh, to, to Whitmore. The commission of the crime itself is absolute metaphysics. The precogs see the future and they're never wrong. But it's not the future if you stop it. Isn't that a fundamental paradox? Yes, it is. You're talking about predetermination, which happens all the time why'd you catch that because it was going to fall you're certain yeah but it didn't fall you caught it the fact that you prevented it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen you ever get any false positives someone intends to kill his boss or his wife but they never go through with it how do the precogs tell the difference the precogs start to see what you intend to do only what you will do so in this ball experiment what Whitworth knows is that the ball would have fallen had he not intervened. Okay, so in that sense, the precogs don't know the future. They don't know the actual future. Indeed, they, what they see is not the actual future, so they don't know it. But what they do know is something different. They know how things would have been had the pre-crime police not used the information that they gave them to prevent that thing. Okay, so I think that way of thinking about it, you can make sense of. But now the movie adds an interesting twist. So the movie presupposes that human beings possess a kind of free will. It's What I mean by free will here is that human beings often act freely in the following sense that nothing causally determines how they will choose when they choose. So the idea is you come up to a point and then you face a choice and then you just choose one way mm. or the other. Nothing determines that you're going to go to the left or to the right. You just choose and you make it the case. Okay. So that's the kind of free will that is posited in this movie. Um but now notice what happens. So now suppose the precogs foresee that if you're given the choice between vanilla or chocolate. Um, you'll choose vanilla ice cream. Okay. But then I know this. They tell me. They're like, okay, Laura's going to go vanilla. It's a totally free choice on her part, but she's going vanilla. So then I know this. And so then I'm like, well, I really want the vanilla. So I'm not going to offer you that choice. I'm just going to give you cake. So I give you the cake. No. Would you eat the cake?
1: I don't like cake. Sorry, continue. Damn it.
0: Well, I give you cookies. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I give you these cookies. Yeah. Right? And, and then you're like, okay, cool. You know, you're munching away on your cookies. Mm-hmm. I get my vanilla ice cream. Now, of course, the precogs are by stipulation right that had you been offered the choice. I would have gone You would have gone vanilla. Right. But it was a totally free choice on your part. Okay? So this is really interesting. In, this is really interesting power, right? They have the ability to know how you would freely act. Mm-hmm. Even though you're not given the opportunity to act, make that choice. So that's a little bit like this. I have a fair coin. Totally fair. It's a chancy result, whether if you flip the coin, it lands heads or lands tails. Now, if I never flip the coin, I suppose I never flip the coin at all. Still, the precogs can know if Justin had flipped the coin, it would have landed heads. They can know that fact, even though there's nothing about the world that would ever determine it to land heads or tails, except for the flip, and the flip never happens. They could still know how it would have landed. Okay, that's the kind of knowledge that they have. We're like the coin, right? We are like, our choosing is like the coin. Okay, so what's interesting to me is that this is sometimes called, um, in, the, in the history of philosophy, has been called middle knowledge. And this was an issue in the medieval philosophy uh, era And it was hotly debated whether god had middle knowledge Mm. okay so in that he whether he had knowledge about what free creatures would do in various circumstances now on the one hand some people thought yes it's obvious god has middle knowledge because god's omniscient he knows everything so he knows how you would freely choose if you were put in various circumstances Mm. he knows you would freely choose vanilla say. but on the other hand some people said well maybe God knows all the facts. And when you have free will, there just aren't facts about how you would have chosen if you were put in various circumstances that you are not in fact in. So then there would be no fact for God to be ignorant of, and thus God's omniscience is compatible with him not knowing how you would freely choose. Mm. Okay, so because there's just nothing there to know. There's no fact for God to know. Now, the reason this mattered to medieval philosophers, I mean, of course, some of these things they just debated for the sake of it, but this one mattered quite deeply to them was because of the problem of evil. Now, the problem of evil is basically this. It seems that the existence of evil is incompatible with the existence of God, traditionally understood. So here's why. If God knows there's evil, he can prevent it. Why? Because he's omniscient. So if there's evil, he knows it and he can prevent it because he's all-powerful. He can do anything he wants. And furthermore, he would prevent it. If he knew it and could, he would do it. Why? Because he's all good. He doesn't want there to be evil in the world. So then the question is, well, why is there evil? Okay. And then one answer is that the evil that we see is the result of free choices of human beings. And free will is a good that outweighs the potential evil that might come by it. So God sort of. Creates free creatures and knowing that it's a lamentable side effect of his doing that, that some of them will act evil. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So that's, that's the sort of, that's the response. Like, why is, why is there evil? Well, it's the result of free will and free will is a good thing. And that's why God let us do this. We should be better. It's not God should be better. We're the ones who are screwing up. Okay. But then the problem is this. If God has middle knowledge about how free creatures would act if put in various circumstances, then it seems God could just create those creatures which would freely choose to do good mm-hmm. in every circumstance in which it's they're tricky. put, right? And so then, so now the problem's back because now it looks like God should have just chosen. Why did he create us who are freely choosing some bad times? He should, we should, he should be creating some creatures who are only creatures who are freely going to choose good, and he knows which of them there are. All right. So that's why this is an interesting issue and it's like it's a classic issue in the in in um in medieval philosophy and the metaphysics and philosophy of religion. And um I think it's really cool that this movie in a way is touching on these on this issue that is like a it's one that's been with us for you know thousands of years. And um and you know of course it's it's approaching it from a modern perspective, a sci-fi perspective, but um but I think that is lurking in the background and I just thought that was a really fun sort of aspect of the of this movie at least yeah. for me cuz as a philosopher.
1: Yeah, no it's super fun. I think this is why this movie is a cut above so many other sci-fi movies. Definitely. Um and why it made me one of the many reasons we come back to it as much as we do.
0: I think that's right. I mean, I think it's also really well made, right? And Of course, so, it's a Spielberg movie. Yeah. Um <laughs> and we you know we should also say um, you know, this is based on a Philip K Dick novel like mm-hmm. like many of the sci-fi classics in the recent years. Um and um And you know, a lot of these ideas go back to, to Philip K. Dick. Um, and, um, uh,
1: but the pre crime aspect of it, I think is, is such a huge key part of why this movie is so rewatchable and so fun. Cause I think there's something so tantalizing about the idea of pre crime. Um, and watching him do it in the very first scene is, is like magical it's really and fun. beautiful. And, and they're playing classical music and he's sort of almost conducting. And yeah. The Schubert watch,
0: unfinished symphony. Yep. It's great.
1: And, you know, you watch somebody, a man contemplate and on the verge of killing his wife uh, for, for um infidelity and they stop it. And you're just mm-hmm. like, this is, this is great. Yeah. This is, I would love to have this. And then the more you see of it, the more unsettling it becomes. And, you know, especially because I didn't quite think twice about it in this moment because I didn't know the first time I saw it, I didn't know what a halo was. But in that scene, the very first scene where you see the guy, he raises his pair of scissors to kill his wife. He gets tackled by John Anderton. People SWAT teams like come in from the ceiling and they halo him right there, which basically, they imprison him. They make him brain dead, like right there. No judge, no jury. That's it. And that's really unsettling. So I think that tension right. is, is what makes this movie so interesting. Um, and certainly within that tension, um, this, this middle knowledge question too of how does it all work?
0: Yeah. How does this work, right? <laughs> could, could there even be such knowledge at all, right? And right. I think that's what's really interesting. And, and, you know, to me, as someone who, who, who works on conditionals, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in this question of like whether there even could be this kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, you know, I do fall on the side of thinking that that there can't be. And and that so so for me, this movie is um, not just science fiction, it's science impossibility, <laughs> in the sense that it's not just like, it would be interesting if things were this way. It's like they cannot be this right. way. Right. Which I think is kind of cool, like that, that like, you know, What we're seeing is a depiction of something that is actually impossible Mm -hmm. for me. Right. It's not just
1: like a debate about whether or not they're going to have e-paper. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Anyway, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, We 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 also want to talk a little bit about some of the themes of the movie, and I think you know we had a number of different ideas on that. Um, And um, but I I think the one that I'm most interested in was the one you were thinking about about the vision stuff. Oh
1: yeah. Okay. Sure. We can start there. so there's a lot of eye stuff in yeah. this movie, which I was noticing uh, this time around. I mean, obviously he gets his eyeballs removed. So there's a lot of eye stuff in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and but, uh, yeah,
0: that's right. We were talking about how yes. they, they surveil them with the through the eyes. They're yes. tracking everyone through the eyes. They're they're targeting them with ads through their eyes, through retinal scans and stuff. And um and and then there's this quote from that the that the um The
1: drug dealer.
0: The, yeah, the drug dealer guy who has literally no eyes. Yeah, right? his, his eyes have
1: been removed. He's
0: probably removed them.
1: He's probably removed <laughs> he that because them because that's up. what people do when they're bad people is that they get rid of their eyeballs so yeah. that they can to no longer be tracked. Yeah. Um and he says, um, in the land of the blind, the one end, one-eyed man is king.
0: Right. Which is actually a quote from Erasmus, who I guess it was sort of compiled common knowledge or something or sort of common Platitudes or something from in like the fifteen hundreds, I think. Mm. But, it, but actually, can we think about that quote for a second? Yeah. I'm just gonna pause to think about that. So so, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. So of course, in one sense, that just means having one eye is better than zero. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because it's like, <laughs> like at least you got one eye. Yeah. Okay. Now, but then in the other way of thinking about it, you you think well, blind is is really a metaphor. Right. Mm-hmm. So, bl- so you think like the land of the mind isn't the people with no eyes or people who can't see. It's, it's the people who have two eyes, but they don't use them mm-hmm. to see sort of properly. They can't sort of see the world as it is. And the one eyed man is someone who has, um, you know, done, has, has blinded himself to a certain extent to the, the workings of the, the ideological workings of the world in order to see more clearly how things really are to see sort of through the appearances and and that's kind of the situation we end up with 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 Anderton is that he himself has to he goes from being blind in a sense right mm-hmm. metaphorically being blind he doesn't understand pre-crime he just kind of goes with it he's, he's not a true, believer. He's a true believer he doesn't think about he it he doesn't
1: ask any questions no
0: questions he's just he's all in yep to and that's why Lamar chooses him, right, to lead mm-hmm. it up is that he's such a zealot.
1: And he's blinded by grief
0: as well. That's right. Yeah. Um, but then he goes from that to being blinded in a more literal sense to having the eyes removed and being in this blind state for 12 hours or whatever um, to being able then to see more clearly. He sees the pre-crime for what it is. He right. sees Lamar for the who he is and he sees, you know, all of the... um uh, you know he sees perhaps even like you know he, he maybe he's able to even come to terms with his own grief and sort of see the the you know that maybe it wasn't completely his fault or or something like that. There's mm-hmm. a kind of exorcism of the grief there as well, yeah, um and so that is the sense in which he comes to see by going blind, much like in the proverb or whatever itself,
1: yeah, yeah. and and at one point he when he's has his eyes recovering. Um, after he's had surgery to take them out, the doctor tells him, you know, you can't take out the bandages for 12 hours or you'll go blind. Um, but he has to open up the bandages before 12 hours because the little spiders we have in the future, they have these little spiders that go and scan your retinas like everything else in this world, like advertising too. Um and they're heat seeking, and uh, he ends up getting caught by the spiders, and has to lift up one bandage, to show one eye, so they can scan the new his new eyeballs that he has that are belong to Mister Takamoto, right?
0: Yeah, something like that. <laughs>
1: um, so it perhaps- is interesting that
0: his eyes he, he they go brown. He wears brown contacts for the rest of the movie.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think they go brown. I mean, they were like he got new eyeballs that were brown. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. That's, okay. that's, no, 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 no.
0: That's what I mean. It's like that he wears brown <laughs> contact lenses. Yes. To, yeah. To make it very yeah, clear, very those clear. are not
1: his yeah. eyes. And you know that I hate colored contacts in movies. But yeah. I think this works this time. I'll allow it. Um. But you know, perhaps they don't say it explicitly, but perhaps he did in fact go blind in that one eye that he lit. You know, that he exposed to the spider. Um. So he could quite literally be a. The one-eyed man.
0: Right. That's uh, should we get, should we shout out David Sims on that one? Yes. Yes. That was the Sims. That was the Sims yeah. revelation,
1: which I hadn't thought about, but it's super cool. Um, yeah. um, but in in addition to that, I mean, I there's also Lamar Burgess says the eyes of the nation are upon us at one point, point. Um, and it does seem like this whole movie revolves around uh, surveillance, a paranoid concern about like it goes both the surveillance and the watching goes both ways. Mm. Um, because the the government and the pre-crime crops are watching the citizens, um both you know, through the precogs seeing their visions, but also through all of this um, you know, surveillance of the you know, retinal scans when they go onto the when you go into the subway and tracking mm. people's motions and using the spiders. um but similarly, like the people are watching the government, and they have the power to decide one way or the other if this if they're allowed to continue on with pre-crime. Um, And there is this kind of it it goes it cuts both ways. Mm
0: -hmm. I guess that's good. I mean, I I suppose that it's better that there's this is still a democracy and that, the you know, and that like the the public perception of free crime is 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 as important and relevant as it's not just being shoved down the throats of the people because some bureaucrats have decided that this is this is a good thing. Right. Um, Yeah, I, I suppose that's like a. Potentially a, a small glimmer of hope, in right? an otherwise ble- somewhat bleak movie, right? Yeah. Um. You know. Um. So. So. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that's good. Okay. Yeah.
1: And the other thing I was thinking too about about eyes and about sight and vision is, of course, like this whole thing revolves around the sight of the or the you know the sort of inner eye, the the visions of the of the precogs, and mm-hmm. the inciting incident happens when Agatha grabs John Anderton and says, "Can you see?" And the question of like what they're seeing, as we've already talked about with middle knowledge, like what are they actually seeing and whether or not that's something that we can believe, because then we find out, too, that there's something called a minority report. So most of the time, the precogs see the exact same thing, but sometimes they disagree. Uh, And, you know, the mother and father of pre-crime knew that this would cause to me, you know, cause too much doubt in the system and so they they devise a system which the the minority part goes away but if they're disagreeing then what are they actually seeing um and you know it calls into question just the entire you know the entire function of of vision and whether or not you can believe what you see which is you know a whole magic of movie making is that you can't really believe what you see
0: oh that's cool i (laughs) like
1: that's a good
0: spin on it i like that right he's like the
1: master of of creating illusions that's what he loves for a living and the whole movie is about whether or not you can actually trust your eyes trust the vision
0: yeah i like that yeah that's really cool um I think though that um, you know, some, th- 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 I think this movie portrays, and I think you you might have mentioned this to me actually when we first watched it, but th- this movie portrays the um, the the precog situation as a particularly vulnerable um, uh, uh, epistemically vulnerable um, judicial system, in the mm-hmm. sense that what if they're wrong? And you pointed out that like, well, the judicial system as it is is full of these kinds of vulnerability, because we rely on witness testimony, eyewitness testimony, and eyewitness testimony is often flawed yeah, and wrong. And what really else can amass. we do? I mean, there's not much else to do except to just be like, well, some, you know, we, we have to just, you know, f- we bring in, we don't have perfect information. And so we have to make decisions based on imperfect information. And sometimes mm-hmm. that will mean putting people away, you know, um, un- unjustly, because we did it, you know, they were, they didn't commit the crime. Um, I guess the stakes are higher in the sense that you're putting them away with no jury <laughs> and, right. and there's no procedure um, except for that some three mutant people saw you do it in in some weird sense. <laughs> and But but yeah, it is like, you know, when they talk about like, well, like what if they make a mistake and stuff? It's like, well, you know, justice systems have, that's like a product of a justice system is that like you you have to act on imperfect information and this is how it goes. I guess that yeah, but I guess the
1: difference is that the government's pretending that it's completely perfect. Oh, system. that's
0: true. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah,
1: that's the difference. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know what Colin Farrell is trying to trying to sniff out. He's trying out. to sniff out, yeah. Um, that's the whole reason Lamar Burgess is is you know going to the going to the lengths of of killing somebody is to make sure that there are no doubts whatsoever about. Right. About the validity of the system, about the strength of the system, and about the fundamental, you know, ickiness of the system. Because the reason he kills that woman is yeah. because we find out that, um, you know, she, her, she's the mother of Agatha and she wanted her daughter back. Yeah. Uh, and if people really understood that the precogs are not saints or oracles or, you know, what the, you know inhuman, because I think, you know, at one point Don Anderson says, like, it's better if you don't think about them as human. Yeah. Though, as soon as we start to think about them as people yeah. sitting in that milk bath, then the whole thing crumbles. Yeah,
0: then it's, then it is um, a system of slavery, and mm-hmm. you see that the whole system is built upon um, a lie and, um, a whitewashed lie and slaves at the center. And, you know, in that regard, it is an allegory for the U.S. in general, like the the history of the United States. And, um, yeah. And, I'm, you know, I think that that, you know, despite what I said earlier about, yeah, I would love to just sit in a milk bath. I wouldn't want to sit in a milk bath against my will.
1: Right. Looking <laughs> at murder all day.
0: Looking at murder all day. No, I would want to sit <laughs> No matter in... how
1: much dopamine they've got you set a, hooked up to.
0: <sighs> Actually, dopamine is powerful stuff. So <laughs> I maybe I would take that choice. But um, I would want to look at other things besides murders. But yeah, um, too, you know, I want to look at some philosophy, too. But. And I want to watch Sicario a few times, once a week at least. Oh
1: my god, you guys! There will definitely be a Sicario podcast. I can't stop it.
0: Um, Yeah, but that's a really good point. Yeah, I think um, you know the other thing. Oh, okay. Can I say this point? You you raised this point, but I think it's a really good one, which is justice is blind, which is a great you know that's another metaphor that's in the system and in you know in everything that's happening. And you get the the poster is Tom Cruise at like the blinded lady justice, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it really is. because the bandage is over one eye, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, it really is clear that Spielberg has this thing in mind, right? He's playing with these ideas. Now, they're not all fitting together because of course, justice is blind. The the whole idea is that um, justice isn't supposed to be like, you're not supposed to be (laughs) prejudged in the way that in fact, the system is (laughs) prejudging you. Um, You're supposed to be given a fair trial, no fair trial in this. Nope. So it is kind of, it is like almost like being deployed, like weaponized against you in a way. Um, and um, but I find it really interesting that he that he does throw in that imagery. Then the other thing that I wanted to mention about this um, about the 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 issue about blindness is that you know I think it, 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 there's the connection between blindness and ignorance. So so there, there's really it's a dual metaphor here, and I'm not actually sure. Whether one of these has to be right, or if they could somehow both be right, so there's the sense in which you go blind in order to see, mm-hmm. but then right because like you see the world as it is, and Anderton sees the precog system as it is. But then there's another sense in which you go blind in order to not see, which is what I think happens when um, I think both Anderson, sorry, Anderton and Agatha are trying to actually um, find peace, mm-hmm. right, and forget the things that, in the case of Anderton, for, forget or at least get over the death of his son and that guilt that he feels. And for Agatha, it's to just stop seeing these murders. Right. She does not want to have this superpower anymore. She just wants to live a normal life. And so for her, going blind is to lose the, the foresight and to just become a normal human being and live in this little island in the middle of nowhere where she doesn't have to, like, she's not close enough to anyone to see their future. Mm. And so I think... um, that that I think is is you know, it's a dual metaphor. And I don't know, you know, which way, which way it ultimately should cut, but but yeah, I think I it's interesting that. that blinding is 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 kind of goes with with losing your knowledge, mm-hmm. losing your foreknowledge in the case of Agatha. Right. Um, for Agatha.
1: She's so sick of the
0: future. She's done with the future. And then the other thought was um, so Anderton, you know, the 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 very inciting incident for Anderton, like why he's on pre-crime at all, is that he lost his son. And in that scene, there's a couple interesting things. So one is when he goes under the water, he looks up, he can't see his son anymore. Mm-hmm. His son is obscured through the ripples. So he, he, he's, his vision is obscured. And then he comes up and of course his son's gone. And I think that that is that obscuring is, is, is important, that mm-hmm. he lost sight of his son for a moment and then his son was gone forever. And then there's this idea that, well, if he can see the future, he'll never lose sight ever again because right. he, he sees he sees the future, right? So I think that's driving Anderton in a certain way. And then the other thing is um, these ripples, right? These ripples come back in another way. So there's the ripples in the water as he looks up at, at his son. Then there's the ripples that um, Colin Farrell, uh, Whitward figures out Anne Lively's death is right. because the wind is blowing one way and the ripples go towards the, the dock and then in the other murder, the ripples are going away from the dock because it happened at a slightly different time.
1: Right. right and so right.
0: the ripples are the clue for Witwer to figure out that, in fact, Anne Lively was really murdered. And so I think it's interesting that, like, you know, ripples and sort of through the vision, you know, the visual system, like going through a kind of obscuring of, of ripples, again, it has that double metaphor and that it can obscure, but it can also enlighten, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it reveals the truth to. To Whitworth, so I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of cool.
1: I love that too. I love that a good, that's like a good detective novel kind of detail. The ripples going one way, the ripples going the other, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we find out. I mean, like, uh you know, he's he's like a good policeman, Colin Farrell. Oh,
0: totally. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think it, it, when he's I
1: probably better than John Anderton. <laughs> well, yeah. No, good point. He yeah, no, it's a question It's a good point. Yeah, he's
0: he's actually curious about what's going on. But I I think what's interesting about this movie is that you know. If you, if you watch this movie and then you come to it a, a year later, or in our case, I think a couple of years later, um, you know, we don't watch it every year, but we watch it every couple of years. And, and you're, we're always like, what happened? Right? You're always a little bit confused because it, it, it goes quickly. There's a double ending and, you know, the, 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 the setup and everything to get him to Leo Crow is kind of confusing yep. and convoluted. I it every
1: time. I'm always like, I know Max Fonsito is yeah. bad but i don't remember
0: but now i remember every time we watch it now i'm i'm always going to remember that that colin farrell's good
1: because Mm -hmm. that's
0: something you don't the first time you're like oh colin farrell's bad right he wants to take down pre-crime and and cruz is the best right? but of course colin farrell's he's actually a good guy Mm -hmm. and might even be the better cop in the end and so um you know i think and he ends up fighting for for anderton in the end too um and that's something I I always remember now when I watch it, which I think is cool. Yeah.
1: One thing I was thinking about when you were talking about uh, about comparing Agatha and John Anderton about their blindness uh, and ignorance and how that works is that you know they're both struggling with with being in the present, right? Because John Anderson's fixated oh, on the past. Yeah. yeah. He's obsessed with. With the past and what he's been going through, he's stuck in his grief and he's stuck in this obsession with preventing what has already happened. You can't prevent what's already happened, but in his but in his own way through pre-crime, he's sort of trying to prevent what's already happened. He's yep. watching home videos every single night. He is in the past. Agatha is in the future all the time. She can't, you know, she, a- against her will. And when yep. she's finally free, she asks, when is it or is it now? And then she says, I'm so sick of the future. Um, and... I was thinking about that in terms of control and, mm. and John's need to, to be in control mm. uh, and his sort of obsession, uh, addiction to faith in pre-crime as a way to to try and control what you can't really control. Like you you can't change the past and you can't prevent pain, but that's what he's trying to mm. do. Yeah. And um and Agatha gets to to live out her her end, you know, her happy ending is that she gets to live in the present. And I think why I wondered when I first when we watched this uh, la- last week, I, I wasn't so fond of the ending. Uh, I felt like it just sort of like felt like I had a little bow on it and there was a there mm. was a voiceover. And I was like, ah, oh, Spielberg, you just can't help yourself. <laughs> um, and Brent in particular, I wondered why we needed to see him back with his wife with a pregnant belly. Uh, but the more I thought about it, I thought that was like it was it was showing that he's he's relinquishing con- con- that kind of control and obsession that he had with the past. And he's living in the present and he's letting in the possibility of some bad things happening in the future. But, you know, overall, you're just accepting life. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's such an act of faith to to have to have a child again, to start over again right. after after you've been through so much pain before right and um, you know,
0: yeah it's just like you know how bad it could be exactly
1: yeah, yeah. you know how bad it can be and you're going to open gonna yourself to the possibility yeah. um, because there also could be so much good right well i actually think
0: i'm glad you brought up the ending because i was i was actually reading a little bit about the the movie and i and, and there is this like there's this theory that i think is quite interesting which is that the ending is a just a dream that he has while in the prison. And the idea is that, because we're told that the people who go to the prison just see what they wanna see. They just like live out a fantasy, right? And they're kept sort of happy, but they're in a dream state. And um, what happens at the end of the movie happens so quickly and so improbably that it does suggest that maybe this is just a a dream of Tom Cruise in uh, in the prison. In the thing I'm thinking about is that um, Lamar gives himself away to the wife, which is fine. She might have been able to figure that out. But 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 when, um, but but the way she gets Tom Cruise out, Anderton out of the prison is she uses the the old eyeballs that mm-hmm. are just in his box of like discarded office <laughs> stuff. was like, hey, you're fired. Take your box out, and he's got the box of goods, and he's yeah. got the like the eyeballs just happen to be in there. Right. And so that's the first improv. Like, why would the eyeballs be in there? And, like, how long are they in there? And, like, don't eyes just, like, wouldn't it be, like, rotting?
1: So gross. Okay.
0: Two, um, if they didn't change the key card
1: system with the he's eyeballs. Already so the he's already gotten into the pre-crime in building his old eyes. once with his yeah. old eyes. So, like, so, so it's like, HR she, needs to get on it. Yeah, like, like that's embarrassing like, this for guy's them.
0: now imprisoned, but, like, and we know his wife has his eyes, and we're not gonna change the the systems like what is going on Mm-mm. so it does seem like it, you know maybe that is some evidence to think this really is just a fantasy right and um and then that makes the movie super bleak right then there that movie then the movie has like shades of brazil where you get this like at the end of brazil right you get this sort of fever dream and then he sort of wakes up and he realizes no he actually didn't escape he's still in the chair like being tortured or whatever and you know this movie doesn't tell you that, but it, it hints it.
1: Yeah. No, I like that idea, especially because there are two movies that come before this, a Tom Cruise movie and a Spielberg movie that that play with the uh, with second endings or other al- alternative readings, which is um AI. Mm-hmm. Which
0: Right. That has the Coda ending too. Has the
1: Coda ending, yeah. which which is the happy ending, right? Because the yeah. the the if you if you take out the coda, he's just sitting underwater, right? <laughs> For forever yeah. and ever and ever. And uh, in the coda ending, he gets he gets his happy ending. He gets He gets the, to be with his mommy the, one more the time. The hyper
0: evolved humans, they are like super whatever, or not humans. I guess maybe they're just like hyper evolved AI creatures, right?
1: Yes, they, yeah, like, are able so. to
0: figure out what he wants, and then they, they just grant give it him to him. his wish, yeah. right?
1: Um, which I can't. I mean, it, I know that ending's been really criticized, but I think he did do it because the the Original, perhaps, is like didn't test well with audiences. I mean, it's pretty bleak. I mean, it's still bleak because it's I think bleak, he just gets like one. Way. I think he just
0: gets one night with his
1: with his mom. mom. I think
0: they like are somehow able to like bring yeah. her back or something oh God, for guys, one.
1: I, we can't. I'm gonna start crying if we talk about AI. <laughs> <laughs> we can never okay, do that podcast because right, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna cry the entire freaking time. But anyway, he just did a movie right before yeah. Minority Report that has this that yeah, has this kind the, the of coda. like ha- happy ending coda specifically. That's an illusion, Um and. My and then the the other movie that I was thinking about when we were watching this was was Vanilla Sky, yeah. uh, which is another Tom Cruise running, needing to clear his name. Maybe he murdered somebody. Maybe he didn't. Mm-hmm. Is this all a dream? Question mark movie.
0: Yeah. Which
1: I think I was bringing some of that Vanilla Sky baggage into into this movie. What do you mean by that? Just because I we we're already kind of like primed to think about whether or not something. I remember thinking. With the with the bleach bypass, every I mentioned everybody has halos in mm-hmm. the in the movie, and at one point I remember thinking like, it sort of a, it looks similar to the three D video that he was watching of his wife, where she got blurred out on the edges because mm-hmm. you said the quality wasn't very good. And at some point I remember thinking, is this all a dream?
0: Right, I see. It's like, yeah, he's just like watching the video of himself. Right, yeah. right.
1: That doesn't make any sense. That, but I, but I the fact that I was like primed it's to think suggestive. that at all, I yeah. think was because because I was. This is right at the Vanilla Sky moment. Yeah,
0: Vanilla Sky is just the year before. I think. I think right? so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, you know, in in that sense, this movie fits of its time
1: mm-hmm.
0: with that kind of like these sort of twist ending movies with uh, the, it's sort of heady pseudo heady material, kind of um, yeah. Well, pseudo
1: heady uh, material still going with Nolan.
0: Y- well, I take the pseudo right out of that. <laughs> expression, <laughs> take that pseudo right out and slam it, slam it Just down into like the ground. Take that back. Yeah, um, no man. Nolan knows what he's doing. Uh, I once saw this video of Nolan explaining how he conceived of Memento, like how he conceived of the timeline in Memento, mm. so that he how he charted it out in his mind, so that he could like film it and understand it. Man, dude thinks he's really smart. Like he he conceives of it as a as a as a horseshoe. So he draws the whole time frame. He's like, look, here's how it makes sense of it. Draws a horseshoe. And then he says, at each point in the film, there's a line. And he says, what we do is we just, are, we just go from this scene on this side of the horseshoe to this scene on this side of the horseshoe. And then we just, what we're doing is, and then you can see where they meet in the middle. That's the middle horseshoe, mm. middle part of the horseshoe. And so... That's what and one's going forwards and one's going backwards, right? right? And so he's just like, that's how I thought of it. And it's like, it's really brilliant once you see it that way, because then you can see how you're going to actually map it out, how you're going to have to like map out the script and map out the shots and, and edit it and everything. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's just like, yeah, we're just bouncing back and forth on two sides of this horseshoe. Anyway, I can't wait for Tenet. That's all I'm saying <laughs> about this. It, I just can't wait. I think it's going to be like memento to the max.
1: Oh man, the great thing about Memento, similarly with with Minority is I always forget what happens in Memento.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? Right? Yeah, I've no seen that spoilers movie, like, here. But... So
1: many times, but I'm always like, I'm just as confused as Guy Pearce so every time.
0: It's such a, it is really a really wonderful movie, just because it's so, um, it's so well constructed, and also because it the 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 structure is designed exactly to mirror the subjective inner state of the main character, which is. Yeah, I just can't. It's, very I, neat. it's brilliant. I mean, it really is. It's um, yeah. Anyway, all right. I think that'll do it. I don't want to. I don't want to just keep gushing about Nolan.
1: We should in every podcast. So just just a quick, just, like, just a quick love note to Nolan. Yeah. But this movie is by Spielberg. We like him too. Spielberg's
0: good. Yeah, he's done a lot of good movies. Um, so, and and this Our hot is...
1: take is that we think Spielberg is good.
0: Okay, actually, hold on. Let's let's end on this. So, uh, yes, Spielberg. Uh, let's do let's do Spielberg top five. Do you want to just grab your top five? Yeah. What the? Do you have crap? your phone?
1: Oh my god! All right. Well, you're gonna have. I don't know where my phone is. Hold on. Okay. This is a surprise.
0: All right. I'm gonna pull it up. <laughs> Spielberg top five. Okay. <laughs> I'll go for no. How about we we got to go descending order five four three two one. Oh,
1: for Pete's sake, I'm not gonna rank. Hold on, I'm just gonna name five that I like.
0: No, that's fine. But descending order, you okay? We're gonna go. E-
1: what do you mean by descending order? I'm not. My point is that I'm gonna do five of equal preference.
0: Um, okay. Okay, hold on.
1: Because I'm I don't have the wherewithal to rank in in real time. That's bananas.
0: All right, you ready? I'll go first. Yeah, I'm okay. ready. Number five is.
1: War Horse. Just kidding.
0: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Number five is AI artificial intelligence. Okay. Okay. Number four is Minority Report.
1: Okay. Ooh, okay. 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 I'm intrigued. <laughs> Number
0: three is Jurassic Park. Okay. Number two is Munich.
1: You put Munich at two?
0: Yeah. You crazy. The number one Schindler's list.
1: Okay. I've seen Munich like once. Munich
0: rules. I <laughs> love that movie so much. That movie is like the ultimate movie <laughs> movie. It's just, just so many scenes that are just like perfect like movie scenes.
1: We gotta rewatch it. didn't that movie, make that big of an impression blo- on me. That
0: movie freaking rocks. Okay, so okay. that's my so let me just say it one more time. All right. A five is uh, AI, four is um minority report. Three is Jurassic Park. Two is um, Munich. One is Schindler's List. That's just off the dome, but I think... Off the dome. Basically, that's what I would say.
1: All right, I'm going to go one through five because my brain doesn't... I'm not not sure where I'm going to land yet. I'm just going to (laughs) riff. I don't think I can go backwards because I might screw it up and not end up with my number one as my number one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, so number one... Schindler's List. You are
0: going Schindler's too.
1: Yeah. It's it's an amazing movie. I remember thinking it the first time I watched it, being like, this is an okay Oscar movie. And then the second time I watched it, I was like, oh no, it's this is incredible. It's, really good it's so good. Um uh, Jurassic Park number two, Minority Report number three. So we're pretty close. Mm-hmm. I'm Munich is not gonna be in my top five. I'm sorry. Um then then I'm not quite sure how my four and five shake out, but if I'm just like getting loose, I would say. Uh, E.T. and then Saving Private Ryan. I'm glad you
0: you actually went get some E.T. some love. Because I was wondering if I I I was kind of hating on E.T. by not putting it in there. But E.T. I really like.
1: You know, I've actually only seen E.T. in full once yeah. with you. And it made an incredible an impression on it's me. It's a good movie. Because my parents really were E.T. Is. haters. Oh. And they were always like, that movie's trash. So we didn't have it in the house. And then once I watched it at Club Med movie night at 8 p.m. And I fell asleep. But I also I was really freaked out by the two fingers. I basically only got through the first scene, you I know, see. when he like puts his little fingers and like pulls back the grass. And I was just like, two fingers. I'm out. How old were you? <laughs> I was 20. No, <laughs> I don't remember. I was pretty young. Okay, okay. Yeah, like six or something like that. Get off my back. We used to go to Clubhouse when Diana was a baby and like still eating baby food. Okay. So well, I think I was pretty young.
0: I will say a couple things about my list. So caveat, I have not seen Jaws in a long time. Yeah. So so that's a big caveat. That one could sneak up. The other one that I haven't seen in a long time, Catch Me If You Can. I remember liking it. It's unclear to me whether it could really jump into the top five mm-hmm. for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, another caveat is um, I don't like Close Encounters that much.
1: I don't either. I'm
0: okay on Close Encounters, but I I, I don't like it that much.
1: It's not tops for me.
0: Um one more caveat is that yeah. I have not seen War Horse. So
1: many caveats. Yeah. Okay?
0: Now, now War Horse know? is, I think, universally disliked as far as Spielberg movies go. But two things count in its favor for me: World War One, because <laughs> there's just not
1: enough World War One movies. Uh-huh. I'm like,
0: I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh-huh. And two, I like movies by animals.
1: You do. And you so, like a good horse. You like a good Stubbs horse.
0: Yeah, I like, I like horse paintings. You do. Okay, so, so those are just a couple of caveats. Um, I haven't yeah. seen The Terminal.
1: Haven't seen Post. I feel like there's just been a haven't run of yeah. like Oscar I Haven't seen Ready Player One. Spielberg I don't movies expect that,
0: that to overtake. No. So there's a couple of caveats here. but uh, No, we're
1: not completionists. We weren't claiming to be completionists. Yeah. But, but we like his work you think he's he's not bad
0: he's a solid director He <laughs> knows how to make a good movie all right so with that um i think we should uh wrap it up and so um and i hope you enjoyed this episode this wait is... can
1: i say one of my favorite parts about the movie of course um <clears throat> i was just thinking about this the this line has been like bouncing around in my head but you know he, he says he wants to keep his eyes when he's getting when he's getting his eyes removed uh and the guys ask asked why and he says, because my mother gave them to
0: me. <laughs>
1: and I just, Tom Cruise is so charming. Yeah,
0: he can, he can say anything. And you're just, you're just like, that this sounds so smooth and natural. So smooth. Like he just thought of that right on the fly.
1: I know. He's the best. Just as we get an ugh face.
0: He's fine.
1: Because my mother gave them to me. Yeah. That's my favorite part. Uh,
0: my okay, new favorite part. Hold on, part. hold on. Real quick. Yes. Where is this? This is one of your favorite Tom Cruise performances? Oh, say? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to ask on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't differentiate it from any of the other Tom Cruise performances. So so, weird. so, so, I just so think, rude. I don't know how so so much what shade on say. Tom
1: Cruise. <laughs> we, America doesn't even deserve him as an action hero. He's just maybe our greatest movie star.
0: Yeah. He's a weirdo. Um, <laughs> no, he's a
1: weird person. I'm not saying he's a, not a weird person, but I think he may be our greatest action star, maybe our movie's greatest movie star. Okay, the
0: the chips have been the chips are down. Laura's putting her bet on Cruz. I'm putting my bet on. I don't know, but probably not Cruz. <laughs> Maybe Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I don't know, <laughs> uh, but not Cruz. I'm um, gonna watch I do, San
1: Andreas Fault next. That's gonna uh, be our next podcast.
0: Blows. <laughs> oh my god, what a waste of time! Remember that time we we were like, hey, let's go see a movie, like. You know, like we wanted to see a movie, and we yeah. before we decided what movie to see. Remember that we were just yeah, like, that "Hey, I just want to us, see a movie." Literally
1: every Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, we're like, "Let's go see a movie." That's like, also why we ended up seeing that crazy X Men movie. Every uh, Memorial Day weekend, we lose our damn mind. Last
0: Stand, right? Mm-hmm. X Men, or yeah, is it last and we pay stand? for like a really Wait, expensive Age three D movie. Age of Apocalypse. That movie also was total garbage. <laughs> Which one was worse? Um, I'm asking myself questions now. Andreas is worse. I'm gonna say Apocalypse was okay. I think Apocalypse was just a piece of junk all the way through, <laughs> at least with San Andreas. The rock was like looking good, maybe. I don't know. He had like had his like, he was at his strength on, and there were a couple scenes where they had the slowed down Mama Cass, right? Mama's and the Papas with the, with the, uh, the rolling You like the slow earth, down
1: Mama's and the Papa,
0: yeah, earthquake scenes. Actually, that was just in the trailer, but I think that made it better for me, just that the trailer featured.
1: A slowed down song. A
0: slowed down, like,
1: California dreaming.
0: (laughs) As the, like, waves of the earthquake destroys California. Um, (laughs) Shout out to all our friends in California. I hope Hope everything is well. We do not, we're not, like, excited about the prospect of of an earthquake. We're just excited about watching it on screen. Um and um, yeah okay so with that uh, let's um, let's end thank you for listening I'm assuming most of you didn't make it this far but uh, if you did congratulations you (laughs) made it to the end of the podcast and um, we'll see you next time thank you bye